0: Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Erin Reifstek from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. We had a very exciting first part of the discussion focusing on athletes' transition out of competitive sport and what it means for their physical activity, identity and and this broader well-being after sport. So it's something that has been a fairly neglected area, even if athletic retirement has been one of the key topics for sports psychology for many decades. But only now we are building a more nuanced picture of how do athletes find a new sport related identity, whether it's an athlete or exerciser or physically active person or something else. And how, might, how can practitioners possibly support this transition? So welcome back, Erin. Thank you. And we started talking a bit about your recent qualitative work. I think it was published only a few weeks ago in the Sports Psychologist. And so I found it very insightful in showing the complexities and the transition is not wholly positive, not wholly negative, but something in between. And there are a lot of these tensions to navigate. So maybe just talk a little bit about the qualitative study and also starting with were the participants and what were the aims of the work
1: sure so yeah so this um these data actually came from kind of a secondary analysis we had drawn from uh, focus groups that we had conducted over several years as part of our um development of an evaluation of programming to support uh, student athletes with that transition and um you know in those original focus groups the primary goal was sort of the development and evaluation of programs, but we also asked other types of questions around the the transition experience. And so we had published some of that work related to the programs um, that we have developed, but um, wanted to go back and and we realized we had this rich data set to see these perspectives of the transition itself. And so we wanted to look at the process of transition from a qualitative perspective because most of the physical activity-related um, research in terms of transitioning out of sport has been, I think, more survey-based. Most of our mm-hmm. work has been very survey-based. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to try to get into more of those nuances and and look at that um, journey that occurs. And so we had uh, 13 different focus groups that um, we went back and kind of reanalyzed for this purpose. And it was a really in-depth process uh, to go back through all of that, but also really fun. Um, I, I think I just, it, it was fun to go back and and uh, see these different perspectives and to analyze it in a way that we hadn't done before and really um, revealing, I think, um, in terms of this, where we ended up in terms of this journey and, and this idea of moving from um, some of the controlling aspects of elite sport participation to um, the liberation that comes when you're kind of free of, of, of that system. And that was, I think, a, a message that we hadn't really seen written about much in the literature. I credit some of that to one of my colleagues um, has background in uh, sports sociology, sociocultural studies. And so I think she uh, helped bring some of that lens to our work um, that moved beyond just sort of the, the psych um, aspects that I've often focused on. Um, from my framing. And so it, it, that idea was sort of this overarching theme of transitioning from that, that controlling aspect where you have those um, directive coaches and schedules and everything kind of built around your sport and your physical activity to um, now having all this, you know, autonomy and, and freedom to make choices for yourself, including your physical activity. And um as part of that journey, some of the sub themes that came out there were around navigating that newfound autonomy and, and um that's exciting and challenging because uh you're leaving a system that was also really supportive and gave you access to a lot of um supports that um you no longer have. So there's that sort of challenging fear of the unknown piece and but then it's exciting to be like, wow, I can really do things that I want to do and explore things that maybe I haven't had a chance to up until this point. Um, And then valuing physical activity and and how those values might evolve through that transition. Um, And um, the redefining piece too, as I think the first part of the, the podcast, we talked a little bit about how physical activity is defined within that uh, sport culture. We talked about kind of the sport ethic and intense nature of of physical activity that often is even in, in some ways self-destructive, I think, to the body, like the toll that it takes on your body,
0: mm-hmm. to
1: seeing it as more like health enhancing and fun and enjoyable and, and sort of broadening what that purpose is. Um, and so uh, those were kind of the the main themes. and. I think for me where that paper moved me from sort of where some of my previous work has been, again, being trained in sports psychology, you know, very focused on individual, um, behavior and and strategies that I think this paper really made me think more about that broader culture, um, that this issue exists within. And so, um, I've been chewing a lot more on, you know, what are the more, I don't know, structural solutions that need to happen to integrate health promoting values and norms into sport culture, so um, that it does prepare athletes for a lifetime of health and wellness. And so, most of my work has really been focused at the individual level, and even the programming I've done has been focused on helping individual athletes. But like, what do we need to do more systemically? to embed sort of these health-promoting values and norms.
0: Yeah, that will be an interesting discussion. Maybe we we do a little bit of that. And obviously in the qualitative studies, for example, the narrative research by Katrina Douglas and David Carless, I keep mentioning them very often, but they also talk about this elite sport or competitive sport culture, very much directing athletes towards this kind of performance narrative so like winning and competitions are so important and when the athletic career is over, then there is like no clear goal or no clear purpose you know to do something. And then when this structure with all the coaches and trainings and all that, but also the more mental structure in terms of what's the point, right <laughs> it disappears. And so if, if the youth sport or um, also the elite sport, experience has really been about this chasing achievements then it can really lead to this sense of void you know what what's the point that does sport offer anything for me anymore after this
1: right yeah
0: so but in terms of what would be some of the ways you think in a more cultural level in your context in the collegiate sport how could coaches sports psychology practitioners and others in this environment what would be some of the ways to work towards a culture that might be more facilitating the transition to to a physically active lifestyle what are your thoughts yeah i think
1: finding more ways to provide autonomy and choice in training might be a, a step you know for coaches and and for strength and conditioning coaches if, um i know sometimes the head sport coach is not the same person doing some of the training Um, that, you know, there are multiple exercises and ways of training that can achieve similar outcomes. And so I think um, allowing athletes to have some agency and choosing um, the activities that they do so that they sort of learn to design programs for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in particularly in the off season, um, maybe cross-training opportunities and exposing them to other types of activities that they may not um, be used to. I think a lot of times um, coaches limit what athletes are allowed to do because they don't want them to get hurt. That's understandable. But um, maybe there are opportunities in a in a safe way to get, to expose them to different types of activities like yoga and Pilates, for example. I know um, for a lot of athletes, that's, um, I think it's becoming a little more popular in recent years. But for a lot of athletes, that's like, oh, I've never done anything like that, but could be more of a lifetime activity that they could continue and actually still benefit their sport performance in a lot of ways. And so I think that exposure and that opportunity to have some agency and decision making in, in their training might be helpful. I think for sports psychologists, being able to help athletes um sort of challenge some of those performance narratives and some of the cultural expectations and especially when it when it's had an assumption that like you have to sacrifice your body and health for the sake of performance, like how do we challenge that and help athletes feel empowered to um to maybe take care of their bodies as well? And I think that is some of it is on athletic trainers, um, too. Uh, that's, I'm not sure if that's the same term in, um, some of the other countries, um, here, athletic trainers are the ones that provide most of sort of the injury care for mm-hmm. athletes. And, um, there's a lot of focus on return to play. And in some of the work that I've written, um, for athletic training outlets, has really been around encouraging athletic trainers to focus on return to healthy living outcomes too. So like that should be part of um, consideration of like, what's the long-term impact of this. And um, I think um, some kind of exit counseling, whether that's through sports medicine staff or um, nutritional folks or sports psychologists, you know, maybe an interdisciplinary team that actually kind of, Helps help athletes as they're ending their career to think about some of these issues and and long-term impacts and being able to navigate um, resources and and support services. So that's um, I think some of the strategies where it takes it off of just the individual athlete having to navigate the transition. But in terms of changing the actual like cultural values and norms, I don't. I mean that's. That's the really big question, and I'm not sure exactly how we do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a massive task. And I've heard, for example, some runners saying that what is great about retirement, that then you can run as much as you want. (laughs) So, you know, you don't have a competition coming up. So if you want to run two hours up and down the mountains, you're free to do that, you know but I don't really see that this option would be given to them if they have like a competition season going, going on. <laughs> so many challenges, but, but it's great to hear that, you know, you and your team are working on these questions as well. I think we jumped ahead of ourselves a bit. So you talked about the qualitative study being something that was developed kind of as a part of this intervention that you developed. And so we talked about your thoughts at the moment of that broader culture change issues. But so let's talk about that intervention as well. I think that's such a valuable contribution. We can problematize things (laughs) forever, but you've actually given something that is much more hands-on and that sports psychology people and coaches and others can actually take up and work with. So let's look into that intervention. Yeah. Sure.
1: So um, the program that we developed is called Moving On. And um, when we came up with the program, the name for the program, the idea really came from wanting to help athletes move on from the kind of structured environment of uh, competitive athletics, but also keep moving, so staying physically active and healthy as um, they transition to their post-competitive lives. And um, the program focuses particularly on promoting um, health health-related physical activity, healthy eating, and well-being. And um, I think kind of alluded to it a, a little bit earlier, it has some roots in identity theory and self-determination theory and um, having the athletes really reflect on um, their self-perceptions and how those are evolving and where these kind of physical activity and health behaviors fit with their vision of themselves for the future. We do some you know, goal setting and action planning where they're developing kind of personally meaningful goals and being able to have the autonomy to choose what that's going to look like for them in, in their future. And uh, there's some education that goes on in there too, sort of tied back to that redefining physical activity that we want to um, help them understand what is health related physical activity? What are the guidelines? Um, what counts? Um, what are the benefits of that? And um, along with that, kind of introducing them to different types of activities that they may not have had a lot of familiarity with in their competitive sport training. So, developing confidence in new skills like um, I mentioned, yoga, um, done some sort of like taekwondo, kickboxing type things. Um, even just walking, <laughs> um, and helping them see, um, you know what physical activity can look like—that it can be fun and enjoyable, and um, that there are a lot of different options for them to pursue. Now we had received uh, initial funding from the NCA to develop some prototypes for the programs. So are really appreciative of their investment in that early on, and um, we also, um, develop some related resources. So we have a website if, if folks are interested in checking out, it's athletesmovingon.org. And, uh, we, we had some initial success with the program, um, some good feedback with that preliminary work. Um, a, a few different schools have adopted it. We created like a student athlete workbook and facilitator guide so that other schools, um, could adopt the program. Um, and now we're, we're kind of at a point where we're trying to continue to build and expand from that, um, we're looking at um, sort of translating it into more of a digital format. Um, it's, it was designed as a face-to-face delivery format. And uh, for logistical reasons and wanting to just promote wider dissemination and sustainability, we were thinking about moving in that direction even before the pandemic, but I think with COVID, kind of moved everyone towards online programming. So
0: yeah. it seemed like mm-hmm. the right
1: time th- to maybe make that move. And so um, we're working on developing and, and beta testing a version of that um, so that we can um, continue to, to get these resources out to folks as mm-hmm. best we can.
0: Yeah. And does it involve some workshops or one to one sessions or how does it go in practice? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the face to face program was originally developed as like a four session program in a group format. Um, and we really emphasize the group format um, in part because, um, like with self determination theory and wanting to develop a sense of relatedness and connection with their peers through physical activity experiences a lot of the early feedback we got from the student athlete participants was that they really appreciated the opportunity to discuss these issues with other folks who are going through that similar experience. And they were typically like people not from their team even, right? Like they, they um, got to connect with other student athletes um, who maybe they hadn't had a chance to engage with as much um, up until that point, but everyone was sort of at this shared experience and, and realizing that other people were going through similar challenges and being able to talk about that was really um, valuable to them. And so that's really, you know, where the group format came in. And so that that, that was the original way is sort of that four session program, where we um, had some education pieces, we had some self reflection time where they could write in their workbooks, and then we had kind of group discussions. And then also actual like, active engagement. So we would do like a physical activity demonstration, we might do some yoga as a group or um, for the healthy eating piece, we might do um, like a meal prep demonstration, like how to prepare a healthy meal on the go with like limited ingredients, and that's quick and easy. And, and so that's how um, the, the original face to face program was developed. And, and now we're trying to kind of incorporate some of that into an online environment. And, um, try not to lose too much of the group connection piece, which I think can be challenging. And so that's those are some of the things that we're sort of figuring out right now as, as we build sort of the platform for that.
0: Yeah. And can you see different types of pathways, how people really navigate this transition? I'm just thinking in my qualitative work and, and talking to former athletes that some seem to jump to a different sport, but still approach it fairly competitively. And some might just continue. In I'm mainly talking maybe about runners, that they continue running, but they might not, you know, be interested in any competitions anymore or just do like a marathon once a year or something like this. And then, I mean, I guess some people just feel that they had enough and they kind of disengage from that sport. I've maybe mostly talked to those people who continue in some form of sport maybe not even competing but still doing it in the same way so i'm just wondering what are the pathways that you are observing when you talk to people and and work with the topic
1: yeah i think there are certainly different i don't know profiles maybe the term to use of like how people uh transition in into different sport related activities i know for me my personal example when i got out I transitioned into doing Taekwondo. And <laughs> I did that um, for very specific reasons. I When I was really little, I had done a form of martial arts before I got into competitive sports. I like I remember oh, that was something I think I remember that was fun. So let me look into that. And it really sort of created this structure for me that I was missing about being on a, in a competitive team where I went to a class where there were other people who were training with me and there was an instructor that was like a coach who was teaching me what to do. And, and there was sort of built in feedback so I could see improvements in my confidence. Like you test for a next level of belt to show that like you're getting better, you're becoming a better martial artist. And, and, um, and there were even some tournaments that I could do optionally if I wanted as well. And, and so that's what I gravitated towards and ended up becoming a fourth degree black belt <laughs> just because I needed something to fill that void. And so I, I do think people, you know, own preferences are going to lead them, you know, what they need um, and how they want those needs to be met. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. some people um, mm-hmm. gravitate. I don't know if CrossFit is a, a thing in other countries, but here it's sort of like yeah. this really high intensity training. Mm-hmm. Um And there's some athletes that gravitate towards that. And then there's other athletes who really, I think, want to move away from any type of competition too. Like they did that, they're done with that. And um, they're looking for less competitive outlets and less intense outlets. And um, some folks transitioned into marathons or triathlons or uh, things like that as well so I, I do think there's probably a variety of pathways and I think that would be an interesting study to do to see to really focus on that like what if, if you stayed physically active what did you transition to and why would be really interesting study.
0: I agree so that would be one possible research project maybe in the future. Um, what other thoughts do you have in relation to What would be the questions that you would like to explore next? And do you have some ongoing projects as well?
1: Sure. Um, Well, besides sort of the continued expansion of our applied research that I mentioned, um, one of the things I would like to be able to do is um, develop some partnerships or collaborations to longitudinally track some of um, these Outcomes for athletes as they transition out. So, perspectively and longitudinally tracking um, the psychosocial and physical processes that kind of underlie that transition. And we've tried to do that on a small scale. We did like a, a pilot study where we tried to do that. It's really hard, it's a difficult population to follow um, for a variety of reasons. They also all kind of disperse when they, when they, leave the institution. And, and so not only just having up-to-date contact information and being able to follow up survey wise, but if you want to get into some more in-depth kind of physiological measures, like it complicates things. And so I think if we can figure out a feasible way of tracking that information and creating, you know, a database where we can have some cohort studies in the way that other, um, Context that people have been studied in with, with, um, similar approach. If we could try to do that with athletes longitudinally, um, in the U S would be, um, allow us to answer some really interesting questions. Um, so that's something I'm interested in. The other thing, and I I think I mentioned really briefly at the beginning, um, starting to get, um, into kind of translating some of our research with athletes to military context. So helping military veterans with their transition, physical activity-related transitions out of the military, Um, research, you know, suggests specifically in the U.S. military context that um, veterans may be at risk for different chronic health conditions. And that can be for a variety of factors, but one of them is kind of that reduced physical activity participation following their separation from military service. And I think um, just from my own perspective, and then also talking anecdotally with some veterans who have come up to me at different presentations and things like that, that there are some similarities, um, with athlete transitions and sort of in terms of moving out of that really structured environment where physical activity is built in to your daily life. And, and even some of the identity component tied into that, but unlike my work with athletes, I don't have personal background in the military. And so, um, a lot of the preliminary work we're doing now is I'm trying to just better understand that culture and and describe their physical activity-related transitions um, and experiences so that we can start to identify and inform you know next steps and strategies to support that population. So that's an area that I'm really excited about um, in terms of future research.
0: Yeah, that sounds exciting. And I think one thing we didn't really talk that much about is also... Like embodiment that I think at least in my talks with athletes that, you know, over time, it's a big adaptation to your changed embodiment, you know, and what you were able to do before and what you're maybe not able to do anymore. And, and, you know, trying different sports and you used to be very skilled in what you did before. And then it might be a big leap to start doing something else when you are. (laughs) suddenly one of the beginners and I guess one of the we had a just a case study with one younger athlete who um, she had to retire because of an injury and and then there was the danger of in terms of with the embodiment theme that you know when you see these, what you feel are undesired changes in your body and then that exercise can become like the you know the way that you can control your body weight and much more instrumental so i think there are these transitions when you develop a not so positive relationship with with yeah. physical activity so
1: i think there can also be one of the things that just made me think of in that qualitative study that we were talking about earlier um that's uh, just recently came out there sort of can be both positive and negative reactions to those Changes in your body. Um, and some of that may be gendered a little bit. Um, some yes. of it may not be. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking in particular, um, one of the quotes that we have um, in that study was from a, a former volleyball player. And she talked about being able to sculpt her body in the way that she wanted to, that she actually didn't like the way her body looked um, and felt at certain points during her athletic career. Um, and so now she like had the freedom to, to shape it in a different way. And so I think it, you know it can go both ways. You can have, on one hand, you're losing sort of the some of the strength and fitness, and um, that can um, have some body challenges and perceptions there, but on the other hand, maybe you're now able to have your body look and feel in a way that's different than it was before in a way that you prefer. So I think it can go both ways. And again, one of those sort of nuanced complexities of that transition.
0: Yeah, I agree. And what you mentioned, having a more longitudinal approach where you can really see how people's relationship with sport and physical activity changes over time. I think that's so important because we know from all sorts of transitions that it's not... (laughs) from point one to point two and then that's it but there's a lot of fluctuation in that journey as well even defining
1: that transition period is something I'm I've tossed around with some um, colleagues of mine of like what is like when does the transition end
0: <laughs> exactly yeah certainly that is a long process so yeah I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm very much looking forward to seeing all the new research that that you will be developing. And I will link all the resources. You mentioned the website and you have some very exciting research, recent and, and the ones that we talked about in the first part were also a bit earlier, but uh, really excellent resources. And I think we are both hoping that a lot of researchers will also find it interesting and you know do some new exciting work in this area so thank you so much yeah. for the discussion
1: and thank you for inviting me i really enjoyed talking with you and it's always fun to chat with other people who have some of these shared interests and, and passion and helping athletes make these positive and healthy transitions
0: thanks for joining us this week on physical activity through podcast